0: All right, if you've got your Bibles this morning, let's turn to Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew chapter number 16, as you're making your way there, you've seen on the bulletin this morning, you see on the screens now, uh, our theme for this year, this new year, uh, disciple. And so it's not discipleship, it's disciple. And it's the emphasis is that. Uh, every one of us need to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that you could make the argument this morning, and you'll see this when we get really to our third point, that many of us are a disciple on some level, but are we a disciple on the level that Jesus would have us to be? And what does that mean? Uh, And the reason that we see then disciple, be one, make one, is because you cannot make one until you are one. Uh, And so I want to challenge us this morning not to just say, uh, hey, discipleship, that's a good thing, uh, but I'll tell you what, it's not. It's not a program. Uh, we we have curriculums that we use to teach people, to train people as part of the process of helping them become a disciple of Lord Jesus Christ, and we use terms like, oh, that person's been discipled. They're, you know, a little bit more solid or stable in their Christian life now. Uh, and those are just terms. The reality is, is the essence of who I am. Am I a disciple of Lord Jesus Christ? And when I truly am a disciple of Christ, then I, at that point I become a maker of other disciples and so we'll see uh, really over these next three weeks in particular and, and beyond that as well but <clears throat> and I'll introduce several things tonight uh, that we are going to restore or implement that will help us in this process in this journey uh, of becoming and making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you'll make it mark that down and that you'll be here in the service this evening. Uh, and so I know a lot of times we go ahead and lay all that out on Sunday morning, uh, and so we're not going to do it that way this year. But we will have things for you when you come in. You'll you'll receive some a bag with some items in it, uh, and then there will be some other things that will that will unveil tonight. Also, Brother Mike Penson uh, will be preaching for us tonight, and it's been several years since he's been here. They've been uh, Pat. He's been a pastor to our military in Europe for. Uh, much of his adult ministry and then he pastored a church here in the States for, for a, year, a few years before he's pastored uh, most recently in Japan. Uh, and they just got back from that pastorate. He's seeking a church here again in the States. and so the Lord's just led them different places and so we'll look forward to hearing from uh, Brother Mike tonight uh, and so I hope that you'll have, that you'll be here again for that. but that won't interfere with anything that we have as far as laying out things for our church. And so, with that said, Matthew chapter 16, (coughs) excuse me, Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to begin here in verse 13 uh, as we make our way through this passage. Uh, This is a familiar text. It's one that (coughs) I've preached through over the last year or so on more than one occasion, and the emphasis is a little bit different this morning than uh, parts of it that we focused on recently. But Matthew chapter 16 and beginning in verse number 13, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, or Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And I will give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. And from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. I'm going to speak this morning on our theme, the Thought Disciple. Be one, make one. The the actual emphasis this morning is simply on understanding what a disciple truly is in the eyes of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we have this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd meet with us, that you'd help me to articulate well the message that you've given. Lord, may our attention be on your word. Uh, May we not be distracted. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to sit still and to listen intently. Uh, to respond when you speak to our hearts and order to pray that you would help all of us to uh, allow you to challenge our hearts and to illuminate our thinking in terms of this passage of scripture. In Jesus name and amen. When we look here in this text it starts off with uh, really unveiling for us the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not And I understand this morning we know that Jesus is the Christ, that He's the Messiah, but He's here. He's called these men to follow Him. We clearly understand that He has the twelve disciples. And when we think about disciples, that's generally what we think of. When we hear the term biblically, uh, the disciples, we pretty much limit our thinking to the twelve. But when you look at the Gospels, the the, the term disciples is a much broader use. And oftentimes, He refers to the disciples And he is referring to a much larger audience than just the 12. You see at times when uh, things get difficult or when he gives a difficult truth, it'll make reference to the fact that this was a hard saying and many of the disciples forsook him and went their way. Uh, It's not saying that the twelve forsook him and went their way. Of the twelve, only one ultimately forsakes him, though they all struggle at times uh, and have some hard decisions to make. So understand this morning that when Jesus is speaking here to the twelve, they've kind of come apart from the crowd, and he looks at them and he says, just asking the question, and uh, and not because he doesn't know the answer. Uh, And so he, he lays out there to them, Hey, guys, who do, all these people we've been ministering to, who do they say that I am? And so they look at him and they say, well, some of them think you're John the Baptist. And some of them think you're Elijah. And then there's a crowd over here that thinks you're Jeremiah. Tells you a lot about the style and the format with which Jesus preached, the power and the unction with which he preached. And so he looks and, uh, and then he says to them, well, who do you think I am? Of course, Peter would be the one that speaks up. Uh, He generally is the one that speaks up. And he says, well, we believe that you're the son of God. You're the Christ. You're Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for for centuries. And he says, that's right. God's shown you that. And then he begins to lead him and, and tell him, listen, this is my identity. I am the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he gives them and shares with them his inclination in verse number 18. And what I mean by that is he shows them what his intentions are. This is what I'm inclined to do. This is what uh, my my plan forward is. He said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost, and this is how I'm going to accomplish that. And in verse 18 he says, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, a little stone, a little piece of the puzzle And upon this rock, this massive boulder, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, the gates of hell can prevail against me, but they cannot prevail against the church. And so we understand that God is at work and what God's intentions are. We understand the, the vulnerability and, uh, and uh, the weakness of men. But Jesus is laying out a bigger picture here when he says, I want to show you guys, this is who I am. I'm Messiah. That means that I've come to reconcile you to God. This is the method in which I'm going to do this. Because clearly, Jesus was not going to reconcile all of mankind in a 33 and a half year ministry. That's all the time that he was there. That's all the time that he was physically upon the earth walking with us as a man and only three and a half years of that was dedicated to active ministry. So the message clearly is much larger than this is what I'm going to do in, the next, in these next few years or months at this point uh, of my life. Uh, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter, you're going you're to be weak you're going to struggle, but the church is not. That This is what I've come to do. And my mechanism for accomplishing it is my church. And we'll pick back up on this verse the next time that we're in First Timothy on uh, on not next Sunday night, but the following. Uh, whenever he says in First Timothy 3.15, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And understand the pillar, the support structure of truth, the ground, the legal jurisdiction, of truth, is the church. Jesus says, I have entrusted to the church my gospel and you as a part of it have been entrusted to the care of the gospel. What you bind upon the earth is bound in heaven, but it's bound in the church. And Jesus lays it out. This is my inclination. This is what I'm going to do. I am going to build my church, the pillar and the ground of truth. And then he invites them. We see the invitation of Jesus to them. And we see that in verse number 24. And verse number 24 is our primary text this morning. Uh, whenever Jesus speaks to them now after he's confronted Peter. Now understand what he's saying to Peter. He is not saying, Peter, you're the devil. He said, Pastor, but he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Under, the, the name Satan means adversary. Peter is not an unsaved man. Peter has placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is chosen by Jesus. He's one of the twelve following him. He clearly is going to serve him in, a, in an incredible way throughout the book of Acts into the New Testament. He's going to give his life hung upside down on a cross for the glory of his Savior because he felt himself unworthy to be executed in exactly the same manner as Jesus. Now, he is a man who is going to overcome. But in this instance, notice the context of what he's saying. He's told him, I must die. I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to be suffering, I will be arrested, I will be falsely accused, I will be illegally tried, I will be condemned, I will be beaten, I will be mocked, I will be hung upon a cross, I will give my life because that is the will of God for my life. It is the the reason that God sent me. It is going to bring forgiveness of sin. It is going to reconcile man to his God. This is what my Father has given me to do? And Peter says, oh no, that can't happen to you. Now before we fault Peter too greatly understand, Peter loves Jesus. No one wants someone that they love to endure such suffering. Oh, it's, it's a, almost a matter of being an encouragement. Oh, that's not going to happen. That's, that's not the way that it's going to be. And he turns to him and says, get behind, get thee behind me Satan for thou art an offense to me notice what he says next for thou savorest not the things that be of God but those that be of men in other words Peter in this frame of mind you are an adversary to the will of God for my life when you're thinking the way that man thinks when you're thinking with the understanding of man you are working against the will of God in me And we have to understand when we become Satan to ourselves, when we work against what God has intended for our lives, we become adversarial to the working of the Spirit of God in our lives when we fail to fulfill the will that God has for every life. And God does have a will for your life. And you're going to see that in the text this morning. So as we understand this, we see that Jesus gives them an invitation in verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, humble yourself, and take up his cross. Embrace my will for your life. Embrace the will of God for your individual life. That's your cross this morning. Pastor, what's my cross? Whatever the will of God for your life is, that's your cross. And then follow me. And that's the message this morning. So what are we talking about? What does it mean to be a disciple? The word disciple here uh, and really throughout the New Testament in in the Greek word is methites, which means a learner or a pupil. So this is a very broad term. So this puts it in the category of uh, when we talk about a disciple as being one simply who's willing to learn, someone that's willing to study, someone that's willing to be taught uh, just on a casual basis. And you see this Throughout the Gospels, whenever you see a crowd gather, uh, and they're referred to in the Scripture as disciples, but when the first sign of difficulty comes, they're gone. Uh, they just disappear. They're 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 here. They're interested. They're willing to learn, but they're not willing to pay any kind of a price. They're not really willing to be a part of something that's going to uh, be weighty or costly. And so that's the term disciple predominantly given in the New Testament, that's its surface meaning. But it is translated from a root word, uh, "manthano," which means to learn and to be appraised. So when you understand here really what he's saying when he's talking about a disciple, and this is a definition that really just kind of builds upon itself. And so it's important that we understand it as we get into really what our push is For our ministry overall is. It is to learn. And to be appraised. To be appraised in the sense of. You're having your house appraised. For a third party to value it. When you appraise. A property. You are opening it up. To inspection. You are opening it up. For criticism. You are opening it up. To be looked at. And to be evaluated. In its purest truest form of what it is whether that's good or whether that's bad it is just simply a honest assessment of its value and so when we talk about being a disciple of the Lord what we're saying is Lord I'm willing to learn about you and from you but I'm also willing to open my heart and to allow you to appraise me I'm willing to allow you to pick me apart, to make assessments about my life, about my thoughts, about my longings. It also means to increase one's knowledge and to be increased in knowledge. Understand the difference. I can make a decision and go and increase my knowledge, I can set out to learn something, and I can take courses and I can read books and I can watch YouTube videos, and I can do all kinds of things to acquire knowledge. But this is beyond. It is to be increased in knowledge. In other words, it is to, in the spirit of appraisal, to have someone come and say, listen, for all of the, all of the effort that you're putting forth to learn something, you're missing something, let me teach you. And being humble enough and open enough to allow that teacher to come in and to teach, to increase my knowledge. I, I, listen, every Christian should be increasing their knowledge voluntarily, but every Christian must also maintain a willingness to allow someone else to come in and increase their knowledge to help them along the way as well. It means to learn by use and practice. And you look at what Jesus did with the 12 in particular. He sat them down, he taught them, He showed them, remember to be a leader is to go before and to show the way. He goes before them. He demonstrates for them. He teaches them and then he practically applies what he's taught. And then at times he sends them out to exercise on their own what he has shown them and what he has taught them as part of their process of development that provokes questions, that provokes challenges, that uh, gets overwhelming, but he draws them back in so that he can strengthen them before they get uh, too down and discouraged. And what are they doing? They're learning By use and practice. They're putting into action that which they've learned. They are using it. They are practicing it. And they are gaining in skill. It also means to be in the habit of or to become accustomed to. And I want you to notice this. Don't miss this this morning. When you talk about someone who is genuinely, truly a disciple. In the purity of its definition from its root. You're talking about someone that's willing to learn. Someone that's willing to be critically appraised. Someone that's willing to use what they're taught. And someone that's willing to use what they're taught to a point that it becomes second nature to them. They're no longer having to think about it. You you don't have to think, I gotta breathe or I'm gonna die. You breathe because it's natural. You breathe because your body just naturally does what's necessary to sustain life you don't have to think heart beat sometimes you might have to think heart slow down but you don't have to generally think heart beat it does it because that's what hearts do for the christian for the disciple what he's saying is from the moment that i trusted jesus as my savior from the moment that i committed my life to become his disciple I began a process of acquiring knowledge and of being criticized by the Spirit of God and those that God puts in my path to lead me to hone me, to shape me, to mold me into what God wants me to be. And I'm putting this into practice and I'm practicing this well enough, long enough that it has just become second nature to me. You hear it referred to in the sports world as muscle memory. You you hear and you see coaches will implement drills From the youngest of ages in sports even whenever the uh, the 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 young kids can't even really perform the tasks that they're putting there what are they doing they're trying to instill in them the basics the fundamentals so that they learn and so that their bodies adapt and learn to comfortably and conveniently do what's necessary to play the game that they're trying to learn how to play that advances that never stops When, when a matter of fact when that stops careers end no athlete that goes through that, that, that process ever stops working on and honing and developing their skills even when they reach the apex of their career. Uh, you know, one of the things that makes the, the, the players that you look at and that are referred to and they're arguably the greatest of all time at their position, the one thing that sets them apart is even at the end of their career, they're striving to get better. They're modifying their diet. They're modifying training schedules. They're changing things about their life. They're making sacrifices. Why? Because they realize that if they want to continue to be effective at what they're doing, they have to continue to work at their skills. They cannot rest upon yesterday's work. They must continue to put in the work today in order to be successful tomorrow. That's discipleship. That's a disciplined Christian life. Dallas Willard wrote that discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Jesus wants to live vicariously through his children. I remember my boys were getting to be old enough to start to get good at playing basketball. And it kind of, you, when, you, when that happens, if they do what you did whenever you were their age, you can't help but want to relive kind of your glory days, if you will, through them again. You want them to succeed at what you were successful at and you want them to go a step farther than you were able to get uh, in what you tried to do. That's vicariously living through our children. Jesus wants to vicariously live through you and me. He wants me out of the way so that he can ascend to the throne of my heart and he can live through me. I'm not supposed to live my life. I'm supposed to humble myself and to allow him to live my life through me under the control of the spirit of God. Howard Hendricks wrote that you never graduate from the school of discipleship. When we get to the point where we believe in our own heart and mind, though we would never articulate the words, that there's not anybody else... I I have learned and walked with God for so long that there's not anybody out there that can teach me anything more about Him. And we shut down in that term. We've got all this to give, but... There's there's not anybody else out there that's going to give me anything that I already know. We just look critically at everything. That's a dangerous place to be. Because none of us will ever be at that point until we walk into heaven. And when I get there mentally and intellectually and spiritually, it it signals an arrogance that often is cloaked in a false humility uh, that says, I've graduated, I no longer need to be a disciple. It is... Something that we should never graduate from. The great missionary Eric Liddell wrote that you will know as much of God and only as much of God as you are willing to put into practice. How much of what God gives me am I willing to put into practice? How much am I willing to listen? How much am I willing to adopt? How much am I willing to, uh, to work at? Another great missionary Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, that being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing the will of God. How many of us have spent our, the entirety of our Christian life thinking that the Christian life is about not sinning? It's a wasted life. The Christian life is about doing the will of God for your life. And what Jesus states in verse number 24, uh, when he says to them that if you would be my disciple, you must come after me and deny yourself and take up your cross, my will for your life, and follow me. Three thoughts about this this morning as we lay this out really for this year and beyond. Number one this morning, we see the commitment of discipleship. Discipleship is not for the faint of heart. To be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is not easy. It requires sacrifice. It requires work. It's labor intensive. It's not something that I can just engage myself in physically either. It is mental and it is emotional. It is something that will suck life from you or give life to you. The commitment of discipleship we see here begins with self-denial. It is a commitment to discipline. When you look and you see again, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. It begins with humility. It begins with, you are the Christ. I am nothing. I deny myself. In other words, I am going to deny my own will. I am going to deny my own desire. I'm going to deny the things that I want out of life in favor, God, of what you have planned for my life. And I'm willing to discipline myself. I'm willing to require some things of myself. I am willing to restrict my things, some things from myself. In order to become what you would have me to become. It is the commitment to discipline. Pastor, where's my list? Sign me up. What do I have to let go of? What do I have to deny? That's between you and the Spirit of God. I'm not about, and the Bible is not about, and Jesus is not interested in a bunch of cookie cutter Christians that all look, march, and act and think and talk the same way. (laughs) He created you with individual talents and gifts. To use for his honor and glory. But in order for you to use them effectively. You must be yielded to his will. And in pursuit of his will. In your life. And that begins with a commitment to discipline. I will allow. The spirit of God to discipline me. I will discipline myself in order to stay uh, in step with what God is leading me to do and how God is working in my life uh, to accomplish that. It is a commitment to discipline, but that requires a commitment to humility. I cannot go out thinking that I've got everything to offer everybody else. I have to understand then I must be committed to a humble life. And I'm not talking about a life of a pauper necessarily, but mentally, where we understand spiritually that, that God may have, God perhaps has grown you to a place where you have much to offer in the development of new Christians. But if your attitude is, but I'm closed off to be taught, then there's a lack of humility that's going to hinder your ability to be effective for God a commitment to humility. Notice in Matthew chapter 18, in verse number 4, he says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 23, in verse number 12, uh, again he states uh, that, uh, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted walk humbly before God. And what I'm saying essentially is this, in in keeping with the essence of the the, the text of the scripture uh, and the, and the, the, the definition that it gives us of discipleship and being a disciple, is by being disciplined and by maintaining humility that I am willing to learn and that I am willing to be appraised. If I'm unwilling to be appraised, it doesn't matter how much I learn. There are so many people that have more knowledge than I'll ever have. There are people that can absorb more. By, because they're so intelligent. That they just casually hear something. And it's soaked in. That I have to invest hours in. To gain an understanding of. But it doesn't matter. How disciplined I am about learning. If I'm not willing to be appraised. If I'm not willing to allow God. And I'm not willing to allow uh, those that God has put in my life and authority to appraise me. I'm not talking about to dictate your life. I'm talking about to, to openly have conversations and teaching sessions about this is an area in which you're struggling or where you're lacking or where you need growth or where you're doing wonderfully or where God can use you in a great way. And I'm not offended and I'm not pouting and I'm not sulking because it was hard for me to hear. A willingness to be appraised that requires humility. The commitment of a disciple. The commitment of discipleship. Secondly, we see the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. The cost we see again in verse number 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. If I would be his disciple this morning, I must be willing to take up my cross. That taking up of the cross is taking up the will of God for your life. Jesus said, I've got to go to the cross. I have to fulfill the Father's will for my life. Gratefully this morning, the will of God for your life and for my life is not to have uh, our hands and our feet spiked and to die of suffocation, a cruel death naked on a cross for all the world to see. That was his cross. But we must take up our cross. He took up the will of God for his life. I must be willing to take up the will of God for my life. In other words, I must be willing, first of all, to accept my cross. You'll never get anywhere in your Christian growth if you're not willing to accept your cross. Am I willing to accept it? Am I willing to say, God, this is your plan for my life and I accept it? Listen, acceptance does not necessarily equal excitement. There have been times in my life where God's made it really clear, this is my will for you right now, and I went, not happy about it. Not excited about, not hopeful of a good outcome. It was God's will for Jeremiah to prophesy to Israel for all of his ministry and to never see one single solitary convert. But that was God's will for his life. That was his cross. God, God, listen, accepting the will of God is the starting point. And what that leads me to is enduring my cross. Jesus accepted the cross and he left heaven and he put on human flesh in a manger and he was born to walk among us. He endured his cross when he walked with us. He endured his cross when he was drained physically and emotionally by meeting the needs of everyone around him. He endured his cross when he was mocked and ridiculed. He endured his cross when he was whipped and tried. He endured his cross when he hung there struggling for breath. He endured it. There's not always, the, uh, there's the idea that, hey, whenever I give my heart to Christ then everything's just going to be wonderful and everything's going to be easy and even when it's hard, uh, God's just going to uh, automatically fill me up with just something that's just supernatural that's going to make this like no big deal. Doesn't generally work that way. If it works that way for you, then you've got, you've got more going on for you spiritually than I think I've ever had. What I'm saying is is that there is a process here. And that process leads me to accept my cross, which then in turn leads me to endure my cross. (coughs) We see that given out to us in Luke chapter number 14. Uh, In Luke chapter number 14 and beginning in verse number 25, when he says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, so he's got all these people and they're following him. And he turns to them, the great multitude, and says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Well, Pastor, that's a heavy cost. Now understand. The Bible can't contradict itself. We're supposed to love our wives. We're supposed to love our children. We're supposed to invest in them. We're even supposed to leave an inheritance to them. What he's saying here is hyperbole. It is, if my love, if your love for me, if your commitment to me doesn't make your love for them seem like hate, then you can't be my disciple. If you don't love me enough that your love for me is greater than your love for them. You can't be my disciple. I would imagine that about that point his crowd shrank considerably. Verse number 27. And, so, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he gives a parable of the tower and to, to explain to them. For which of you, intending to build the tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost... Whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation he is not able to finish it, and all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. What he's saying here: Listen, if you're not committed to this, you're not going to finish this. If you don't love me, you're not going to see this through. You're going to end up a laughing stock. Amongst the heathen. Amongst those that reject me. In verse 31 he says, What king going to make war against another king? Sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else... While other is there yet great way off, he sendeth ambassadors and desireth conditions of peace. In other words, the king looks, that's their army, this is my army. If I can't win this fight, then I'm going to send uh, and seek peace before the battle ensues, and I lose everything. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple discipleship is not for the faint of heart it's not for casual Christianity discipleship is for those that want all of Jesus and want to give Jesus all of them it's accepting my cross and then enduring my cross realizing that it's going to impact my relationships and it's going to impact there's going to be a cost that comes with my family with my co-workers with my boss it might impact my ability to gainfully be employed where I'm currently working. It may impact all of that. It's not an easy decision. It's not, an, it's not a, caref- a careless decision. It is a powerful and important decision to give my life as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will I accept my cross? Once I accept it, then I endure it, which leads me then to embracing it. What I mean by embracing is the example that Jesus gave us. He stayed focused on the will of God for his life. He wasn't focused on his suffering. He wasn't focusing on those that betrayed him. He wasn't focusing on his struggle for breath. He was focused on the will of God for his life. He was focused on the purpose that, God, that he came to earth. He was focused in short, my friends, on you and me. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, that establisher of the church, that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that the church, the pillar and the ground of truth, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame? Was there a time when Jesus prayed out to God in agony? Father, if there's any other way, yes, there was. But in the end, he said, "If the, whatever your will, I will do. I will endure the cross. But in enduring the cross, he came to embrace his cross for the joy that was set before him. And what you see in the process, and we've seen it in the life of the Apostle Paul in our study on Wednesdays through the book of Acts, where he comes and he goes with Silas and he's beaten and he's thrown in prison. And at midnight, he's singing praises to God. He's not singing praises because he got beat. He's singing praises because he's bearing his cross and he's embraced it. And what we need to be is a people that God grows to a point where we are willing to discipline self and we're willing to humble self that we can come to a place where I say, God, I accept my cross. And when it's hard, I'll endure my cross. And when it's challenging, I will look to the purpose and embrace the cross that you've given me to bear. It's the cost of discipleship, it's the cost of being his servant. It's the cost of being a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. The third thing we see this morning then is the challenge of discipleship. There is a commitment that's required. There is a cost that must be paid. And then there are challenges along the way. Notice again in verse number 24 of Matthew chapter number 16 in our text. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And follow me. And we see throughout the New Testament, and we're going to look just briefly at five types of disciples that were successful in their ministry in the lives that they led for God, at least in the end. And we'll look at most of all of them actually in the Gospel of John. And you'll hold your place there. We'll begin in John chapter number 19, and we're going to jump back to that in just a moment. But we see, first of all, the identity test of discipleship. This is, follow me. Are you truly my disciple? Will you identify with me, your Savior? Will you put on your cross? And I'm not talking about, you know, walking around toting a cross. I'm talking about, will I embrace the will of God for my life? The secret disciple we see in Joseph of Arimathea. John chapter number 19 and verse number 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. And he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. He's a secret disciple. I wonder this morning how many of us are secret disciples. I, you know there are a lot of that aren't. I mean I, I look around this morning and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like try to guess who's secret, but I can definitely tell you some people in this room that are not secret. It's a good thing. I mean I, I can accuse Brother Frankie of a lot of things, but being a secret disciple of Jesus isn't one of them. Amen. That's a good thing, Brother Frankie. I, I can look at a lot of different people and say that about them. That There's no secret about their love and their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look and when we understand uh, that what we're talking about here, listen, Joseph of Arimathea was not a failure in life. He was a wealthy man. He was a man. But the reality is, is that because he had so much at risk, up until this point, he kept his followership of Christ a secret. He's not secret now. He's standing before Pilate. Everybody's watching. Everybody's interested. The powers that be, those, those Jews that wanted Jesus crucified, now want his body contained. It's not gone without notice. He grew during the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. Or is growing during the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Now he's out. Now he comes. Pilate, and I think at one count, Pilate even says, now I find a follower of him. Where were you before? the secret disciple. Listen, it's better to be a secret disciple than not a disciple at all, but we need to grow beyond secret discipleship. The second person that we see here, you see actually early in the Gospel of John in chapter 3 in Nicodemus. Nicodemus is that fearful disciple. I'm not going to let anybody know because I'm afraid of what they might say. I'm afraid of what it might cost me. I'm afraid of what I might lose. That was Nicodemus' case. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler in the synagogue, hey, came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3 and famously asked him, what must I do to be saved? Which Jesus famously replies, you must be born again. And I'll recount that whole encounter that leads us to John 3, 16 and 17 and 18. But what I'm saying this morning is that Jesus, Nicodemus came fearfully to Jesus at night and the Bible never lets us forget it. Not one single time is the name Nicodemus mentioned where we're not reminded that he came at night. That he came fearfully. He's, found, he's described in John chapter 3 uh, as coming at night. In John chapter 7 uh, in verse number 50 uh, the Bible puts there parenthetically uh, that he came at night uh, when it says uh, that Nicodemus saith unto them parenthesis he that came to Jesus by night being one of them in parentheses. I'm not saying that God's holding a grudge against Nicodemus, but I am saying that he sure wanted us to remember that he came fearfully in the beginning. Notice where he is in the end. In and, and, and chapter 19 and verse number 39, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about a hundred pound weight. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying that there's a fearful disciple. I'd rather be a fearful disciple than not a disciple at all. But Nicodemus grew at this point. He's there, out front. Then we see Thomas, the doubting disciple, in chapter 20, uh, in verse number 24. And I love this passage and how Thomas responds. And you have to understand, before you get too hard on Thomas, he wasn't there when Jesus came and showed himself to them the first time. All he has is their word. He hasn't seen anything yet. And he's making the point emphatically that it's going to take more than your word to convince me. And in verse 24 it says, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, this argument's been going on for a while. The disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut. In other words, he didn't open the door to walk in the room, he just walked in the room. He made, he made quite the appearance. And stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger. How intimidating would that be? You've been arguing for eight days or longer to your fellow apostles and disciples. Uh, I'm not going to believe unless I can see with my own eyes the print of the nails until I can put my finger in it, until I can thrust my hand into the side and then poof, Jesus appears uh, in the middle of the room or walks through the wall and says, Thomas, in the midst of everybody, fastening his eyes upon him and walking up to him, reach hither thy finger. Behold my hands. You said you needed to see. Look. They're right here in front of you. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. I can just see him raising up his garment to expose the open wound in his side. Be not faithless, but believing and you got to love Thomas' response when he truly saw Jesus. It should be the response of every Christian when they really realize and acknowledge who Jesus is. My Lord and my God. The light came on. God help us to be a church full of people that our lights come on. That we come to a place where we see and we realize that though we have been on a path that perhaps has caused us to doubt or has caused us to be fearful or has caused us to serve him sometimes secretly, we've had to deal with conflict, internal conflict. And you see that in Peter. In John chapter 18, and we don't have time to read this text this morning, but in verses 15 through 27 is the account of Peter going to Jesus, Jesus telling him, uh, Peter saying, I'll never deny you. I'll never forsake you, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning. You're going to deny me three times. Not me. And he denies. And he denies. And he denies. And the rooster crows and his heart is broken. Jesus told them, Peter, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you as weed. You understand, sifting weed is running it through a mill. It's putting it between two grindstones and grinding it, pulverizing it to a fine powder to make flour. Peter, Satan wants to pulverize you. But I prayed for you. And when you're converted... Peter was not in need of salvation. Okay. Peter was saved. When you're converted. When you've been restored. When you've been lifted back up. When you come to fully understand. And we see Peter. Conflicted. Facing his. Own problems. Denying. The one he loves. And then we see in chapter 21, the completed disciple. Again in Peter. In chapter 21, Jesus comes to him and of course he's out fishing. And as he's fishing, they've caught nothing. Jesus says, throw your net on the right side. And they catch 150 plus fish. They come ashore and Jesus is cooking breakfast. And through the course of it, he comes to him as Peter had denied him three times, and he questions Peter three times. Do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? You know, Lord, that I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter is completed. Peter has a new picture of Jesus and he already believed that he was the son of God and trying to put that in context of our mind there was an intellectual acknowledgement in the life of Peter in Matthew chapter 16 that you are the son of God you are the Messiah but there's something different about his vision of him now How do you know, Pastor? Because when he preached at Pentecost, over 2,000 were saved. When he walked down the streets, people that got just in his shadow were healed. When he preached again, 4,000 plus were saved. Whenever God wanted to begin to reveal the mystery of the church, the bringing of the Gentile and the Jew together as one, it was Peter that he first gave the vision to. It was Peter that he first began to confront and break down his Judaistic thinking in order to open the doors for the Gentiles to come to Christ. He is the completed disciple because he has has come to a place where he once denied and he now will die crucified upside down for the glory of his God. What happened, Pastor? He accepted his cross. Through this difficult time, he endured his cross. And at the end of his life, when great sacrifice was required, he embraced his cross for the joy that was set before him for the knowing that he was fulfilling the will of God in his life. The question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, will I choose to be his disciple? What does that mean, pastor? It means, will I learn? Will I be humble? Will I open my heart? Will I be appraised? Will I learn and practice until it becomes second nature? You know what is synonymous with the word disciple? Adherent. I can do that. A cohort. I can be that. A learner. We're here, aren't we? An enthusiast. A devotee. Who would describe you this morning? Who would describe me as being devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? A fanatic. There are a lot of us that could be described as fanatics about our favorite sports teams. We wear them on our hats and we wear them on our shirts and our hoodies. We wear them everywhere that we go. We have their stickers on our cars. We're fanatical. Would anyone say that you're a fanatic for Jesus? A zealot. You don't believe me? Get a thesaurus out when you go home and look up disciple. These are the words that come up. Are we, am I truly a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Will I choose to be his disciple? Will I deny myself? Will I take up my cross? My cross. I don't going to take up your cross, Brother Joey. That's your cross. I'm not going to take up your cross, Andy. That's your cross. I'm not going to take up your cross, Miss Andrew. It's too heavy. I'm not going to take up your cross, Miss <laughs> I'm going to take up my cross, my cross, and follow him. Will I follow him? Graham Kendrick wrote this, to be converted to faith in Jesus Christ is to return to the worship of the true God and to dethrone all rivals to his authority. If you want to be a disciple this morning, return to Jesus and dethrone from your heart every rival to his authority. And when I've done that, I'm on my way to being a biblical disciple of Jesus.